What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for another Big Ten preview show. We're going to be talking about the Northwestern Wildcats, which come in on Rad's list at number 12. But before we start, I wanted to do a brief shout out to those of you who have decided to financially support the show. If you're interested in doing that, we really appreciate it. It obviously helps with our production and the promotion of the show. You can visit that at tffinots.com support. There you can do one-time gift or you could certainly join a link to Patreon and become a monthly supporter of the show. We have a couple of new Patreon supporters. I just want to go through those. those on the Draymond Green level, if we have Dan Rankin, Adam Walzak, Doug Robinson, and James Benton, and also a new Cleves supporter, Chad Hickey. Also like to uh, brief shout out to a one-time gift from Gregory Brown, who actually used Chuck and snail mail. So that is possible too, if you're so inclined. But Rod, we're going to talk about the Northwestern Wildcats, the team that Made the tournament in, I think it was 2016 and 2017. It was that and, season, 16-17. You know, huge, huge, yeah. It was a huge story, of course. You know, they'd never made the NCAA tournament before. And since then, I think we just, I think we kind of expected them to maintain a level where they're kind of hovering around that, you know, not certainly dominating the Big Ten, but one where they're perennially questionable whether they're going to make it in or not. And they really have really, under, I guess you'd say, underperformed in many ways the last couple of years. And Chris Collins seems like a very competent coach. It's obviously a very difficult place to win as evidence of the fact they've been to the NCAA tournament just once. And last season, they're coming off 15 and 16, so a losing season. Um, they were 7 and 13 in the Big Ten. They ranked 87th in Ken Palm, 101st on offense, 73rd on defense. They're really good at limiting turnovers. They're only they're eighth in the country, but outside of that, they really didn't do much well. And I feel like in the past they were a good shooting team outside, like uh, for threes. That was sort of like their trademark under the um, Carmody era. That was sort of how they stayed in games. Back then, yes. Down and, yes. and hitting threes. Uh, since then, obviously, it's changed with Chris Collins. But I've never felt them as a poor shooting team. But last year, they were not very good. They were sub-250 in both offensive rebounding and two-point shooting. Defense is a little better uh, with a team rebounding defense of 67. Good te- two-point defense of 96. But again, it was not a very good year. They ended up, uh, got off to a 1-5 start, ended up at the bottom of the Big Ten again. And just, again, have just not seemed to be able to get any traction. And they're going to face, as we'll talk about in just a minute, sort of what a lot of these teams, especially at the bottom of the Big Ten, are having is trouble just keeping a team together to go into the next season to have some sort of base to work on. That's really it. That's really it. So they had, um, if you look at uh, last season, they had lost Miller Cop, who transferred within the conference to Indiana. And, and Miller Cop was not a superstar, but he was a solid Big Ten starter and a good player for them, actually better for them than he was for Indiana last season. He never really got on track with Indiana. But that was a loss. This year, as we'll talk about in a second, they lost one more starter and one key reserve as guys with eligibility who – just decided to play their last year out somewhere else. In this case, both of them going to power programs in the ACC. And that's that's tough business to be able to win without being able to hold on to guys like that. Um, you know, Chris Collins, as you said, really had a, a dream season in 16 and 17. First time in program history they made the NCAA tournament. And so that alone is a pretty remarkable thing, but it felt at the time to me like that was the beginning of something because he did exactly what you anticipate 
happens when you have a breakthrough season. He upgraded their recruiting, at least if you look at recruiting rankings. Um, he's brought in, you know, Pete Nance, who was the best player on last year's team, and Miller Kopp, who was arguably the best player on the team the two or three years prior to that. Both were guys that Northwestern beat out other major programs for Michigan, Ohio State. Those level of programs offered those guys and wanted them. And, um, it was, uh, they were unable to get it done. So, um, or unable to get it done and beat Northwestern for those guys. So you would assume, okay, as he improves the talent level, this is thing is going to get better and better and at least be able to sustain. Hasn't worked out that way. And, um, I'm not sure at this point, you know, there doesn't feel to me to be any momentum toward him losing his job. But I also don't know if I feel that there's momentum, obvious momentum, at least to this program continuing to get better either. And that's a tough spot to be in. It's at what stage do you call it and say, well, there's just not enough progress being made. I'll say this. If you took out the one NCAA tournament season, I think Bill Carmody had a better run than Collins has had, which I would not have. And I was a Bill Carmody fan. I thought Bill Carmody it really had bad breaks that prevented him from getting to the tournament, but I thought he had consistently pretty dangerous teams there. And I think in retrospect, that move maybe hasn't played out. You know, just a second ago, I said, Chris Collins is, seems to be a really good coach and they're a good team, but I'm, you know, your, your point there about their comparison to with Bill Carmody makes you sort of question that. Yeah. He's been more successful recruiting yet. He's been able to do less with more. And so, Maybe he just looks competent, and from the outside, you can see someone, they seem to be in command of the situation, but maybe he's, he was not. Maybe he's not as good X's and O's as other guys. This is what I would say. Um, when Chris Collins got there, he managed to change some things that historically had been issues at Northwestern. Northwestern historically had not been a physical team. They'd always been a terrible rebounding team. And I'm talking before Carmody. Just notoriously, that program really had problems in some of the areas that we kind of take for granted you have to be good in in order to succeed in the Big Ten, right? You you don't need to be 1999 Michigan State necessarily, but you better have some physical toughness one way or the other. You probably, with few exceptions, better be able to rebound decently. You know, Northwestern was never good in those areas, but that changed. Chris Collins, this past year's team was not a great example of it, but he improved them and has improved them in those areas. They're, I think they're better defensively. If you remember the Carmody era, they played that junk 1-3-1 that, you know, if you had competent guards, you were going to give them a very hard time. Collins yeah. plays a lot more man. They just, they, they play much more like other big 10 teams. The flip side to that though, is they're still doing it without maybe the talent level that some of these other programs have. And you're not getting the added benefit of what say Bill Carmody brought, which is this weird style by contrast to what you see from the rest of the league at both ends. So when you played Northwestern, the preparation you did for anybody else was going to be largely irrelevant at both ends because they played that Princeton style offense, heavy screening, um, heavy uh, back cuts, constant man movement. You knew going into playing a game against them defensively, you were going to be tired at the end of it because you're going to be chasing people. There wasn't a lot of stationary standing around. And then defense, that one, three, one. Yes, you could shred it with good guard play and good shooting, but you still had to be prepared to, for how to attack it. You know, it's not like going against a straight up man defense. So I think that sometimes that played to Carmody's advantage. So he was maybe able, that would explain partially how, what you just alluded to that he got more done, maybe with less obvious talent. That might be part of the reason why, but I, I still thought on balance that Chris Collins was the guy was the guy to make them, not necessarily consistent tournament team, but a threat to get there more than they've been. Cause not only have they not repeated 
the 1617 success, they haven't come close. They yeah. didn't have any years in the, in these last six or so five or six where you would say, well, they were just on the wrong side of the bubble or boy, if they'd been able to get that win the last game of the season or get one more in the big 10 tournament, they might've gotten there. They haven't been within shouting distance of a bid last season was actually believe it or not one of the better ones they've posted since then because they actually won seven games in the league seven yeah. seven and 13 which you know showed you that they were competitive they just weren't good enough to be something yeah. more than that yeah they really haven't sniffed the big the nc tournament no yeah i don't think they've been part of the bubble conversation nope, not even since close. before the sick before before they made it that year i think the year before that they were sort of on the edge and they didn't quite make it in maybe once or twice. Well, let's go into what we were talking about, the player's law. So as you mentioned before, Pete Nance has left. He had a year of eligibility left with because of his COVID year, and he has heading to the Tar Heels, North Carolina. He averaged 14.5 points a game, 6.5 rebounds a game, with led the team in both of those. He shot 50, 45, and 77, led the team in blocks, and had over with over one a game. Uh, he, he was maybe not a consistent player, and he was a player who occasionally – uh, I don't know, didn't take plays off, but he would sort of disappear uh, at times. But aside from that, he was clearly the best player of the team. Well, I think that's what changed in him, though, is over his first three years, the knock I mean, Pete Nance. Again, I mentioned it earlier, hotly recruited player out of Ohio, has NBA bloodlines. His father was a former dunk champion, Larry Nance Sr. His brother, Larry Nance Jr. has played in the NBA. So the bloodlines are there. The physical tools are there. A skilled six, nine guy with a little bit of strength to the knock on him early in his Northwestern career up until last season really was, you could see the talent. It was obvious, but the consistency playing with a high motor, those things that ensure you are going to be productive. were missing too much. And then last year it was like the light switched on. And I thought he was really good. I mean, it's, it's hard as a big man in the big 10 of the last couple of years to, to get above the noise, right? Because so many big men have put up big seasons. So in a league with Kofi Coburn and the um, Luca Garza the year before, and the guys at Purdue, their two headed monster there and Dickinson at Michigan, all these guys, Nance kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit, but you look at the numbers that was a really good year. I mean, 45% on threes, and he wasn't shy. It was a decent volume, yeah. too. Yeah. That's a weapon. And he was certainly good enough to take advantage of you inside as well. So I, I'm going to be interested to see what his role is at Carolina because Carolina has some big guys back, and they were a team that was very reliant upon their big men. They really used them. Um, but I'm going to be interested to see what role he plays. If he, um, if he steps into the starting spot vacated by, and I'm forgetting the guy's name, the kid who transferred from Oklahoma, the mountain man, the guy with the beard, um, yeah. if he steps into <laughs> his role, uh, then there could be a lot of minutes there for Larry or for a Pete Nance. And he could, he could get himself maybe a little more firmly on the NBA radar. I don't know. I, I have to believe that was part of the assessment because he did actually the bit you didn't mention, he declared for the NBA draft as well. He just pulled out when it was obvious that he wasn't going to get taken or get taken where he wanted to. And so then he entered the portal and decided to transfer. But uh, this is a big loss for Northwestern. There's no two ways about it. If Pete Nance had come back, we would have them higher. And um, you'd be talking about a guy who would we would be talking about discussing as certainly having the potential to be a first-team all-conference player. He's, he's that kind of talent. Right. And then – one of the, I think surprised me a little bit. And then once he was announced to be transferring out of Northwestern, I think a number of Michigan state fans were looking to maybe pick him up as Ryan young. Yeah. He was a center. Uh, can I, can I stop you there for a second? That go that, right ahead. Yeah. That bit, the Michigan state fans looking to pick him up. Uh, if you were of that mindset, that is a gigantic tell that you don't have any inkling of an understanding as to what Tom Izzo insists on or values in a big man. But go ahead. It doesn't mean Ryan Young's a bad player. It just means that. And go ahead. Yes. 
Yeah, because he's not. Well, I I would just add he's not the kind of player who would play at Michigan State because he doesn't run the floor like you expect the big That's man it. for Michigan State, right? He, he doesn't, and he doesn't. He doesn't move. Period. So it's not just even about transition. It's what can you get out of him defensively and pick and roll when he's when he's brought out away from the rim. It's just none of that adds up to Michigan State. Right. He can rebound. That's Michigan State, but that's about it. Yeah, and he hurt us a couple games, right? And so yeah. I think that's what you remember as a fan. Like, man, that guy's pretty good. He's, right. He beat us up inside. Uh, so he averaged nine, nine points a game, 4.2 rebounds a game, and 17 minutes a game. Shot 56 from the floor, 67% from the line. Uh, and he's flawed just in the ways we were talking about. He's a guy who does not move great, uh, but, you know, a reliable, I'd say, kind of reserve center. I suppose he starts on certain teams, right? Look, um, for Northwestern, you know, for what they were asking of him, uh, he was a valuable player. And given that Nance opted to leave, if Ryan, Ryan Young actually hit the portal first, if I recall correctly, but if he had opted to stay with Pete Nance leaving, he was going to walk into a starting role. I, I'd say the other thing that's questionable about Ryan Young, too, is um, his, uh, his ability to play a lot of minutes, his endurance, his conditioning. I don't think he's – Northwestern doesn't run – anywhere close to the way Michigan state does. And even there, I think it's been questioned like, well, how much more could we get out of him than what we're getting? He played, he played 17 minutes a game last year. And I think his high over his career is maybe 19 or 20. So uh, yeah, just not, not that, but it, it's interesting. You know, he opted to transfer to Duke and he's not going to start there either. He'll be a reserve, but um, that's maybe a tell to me that, Maybe John Shire isn't going to look to shore up some of the things that I felt really hurt Shashevsky in the latter years of his run there, namely that he no longer seems to have hard and fast expectations defensively, that particularly for big men, that he's willing to let big men shack all game long and, and not get out on the floor, not hedge, not switch. You know, all of those things that it's tough to win in the modern game at the highest levels without having guys who can do those things. So the fact that Duke opted to take Ryan Young maybe tells me, okay, he's not going to change that up, at least not yet. Because if he was, I don't think that's the move you make, even for a backup. But look, in the right setting and with the right expectations, Ryan Young can be productive because he definitely has a nice post game and. You know, if the ball comes to him, he's an effective rebounder because he's got decent hands and he's strong. He just doesn't – he's not a range rebounder. So even there, he's kind of limited. But in the right context, he can be okay. So I, I know I am sound like I'm bagging on him. Um, if he were back at Northwestern, I'd be saying, well, they've at least got a solid veteran starting five, man. That's a good thing. And I'd probably have him a little higher than I do right now. But – it's just that you have to understand that despite some of the numbers, there are real flaws here too. Yeah. So next, another loss is Ryan Greer, who uh, decided to just leave playing basketball and he's joined the staff at Notre Dame as a recruiting coordinator. He uh, averaged 3.9 points a game uh, at, on, with 40, 40 and 95 shooting better than two point two assists a game and a three to one assist to turnover ratio. And he's a guy who I always felt like, should have been giving him more. I mean, he seemed like a guy who is pretty good at, from shooting standpoint. He just, I don't know if he just didn't shoot enough. He just wouldn't impact games as much as I think he could have. Well, I'm going to give him credit because Ryan Greer um, came on board at Northwestern uh, a year early. He reclassified and he did that late in the process. He did it at some point later in the summer before his freshman year, because they had had, and I'm drawing a blank on the kid's name. They had had a highly regarded freshman point guard recruit who was going to be the guy to come in and take over that position. And mysteriously, very late in the summer, Northwestern admissions denied him. So they were scrambling. They went and got Greer to reclassify and Greer looked positively overwhelmed as a freshman. I thought this guy has no chance to be a big 10 player. 
he's going to transfer out. I mean, even though he's bigger than Foster Lawyer, I thought he looked further away than Foster did for sure from being a Big Ten player. But to his credit, he got better every season. And you look at his numbers from last season, only 3.9 points a game, but 40-40-95 shooting. And he shot well the year before as well during the COVID year. Uh, better than two assists per game while not playing a ton of minutes and a three-to-one assist to turnover ratio. So he did all the things you would like from a backup point guard. He, When shots were there, he made them. Uh, he ran the offense efficiently and didn't beat his team. He didn't make mistakes. Um, but again, as you said, opted to discontinue his playing career, which is unfortunate because they could use him on this team. They could use a backup point guard. They don't really have an obvious one. Uh, I think he could have played the same role he did the two years prior. Uh, instead, he's going to be a recruiting coordinator at Notre Dame. So hats off to him, I guess, for knowing what his future is and moving down that path as soon as he could. Yeah, good for him. Uh, next is Elijah Williams. He's a six-seven power forward transfer from Farley Dickinson. He averaged 3.3 points a game and 2.1 rebounds per game in about 14 uh, minutes off the bench. Yeah, you know, he, he was brought in as a as another body, a guy who um, could give them a, another option, mostly in a reserve role, and that is, in fact, what happened. Uh, he was a native of Evanston, so he was coming home after playing most of his career at Fairleigh Dickinson. Um, the numbers weren't spectacular. It doesn't represent a huge loss by any means. You know, some of these guys were talking about their significant losses, at least in a certain context. His really isn't. Right. Uh, finally, it's Casey Simmons. He's a six-six wing uh, who was um, a freshman from last year. He averaged 2.5 points a game on 41, 25, and 55 shooting in about 12 minutes a game. Started the season early and then uh, was coming off the bench the remainder of the season and ended up uh, transferring to Yale. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I didn't get all the details, but I gathered he is the first transfer that Yale has accepted in a long, long time, which if you think about it, makes a great deal of sense because yeah. Ivies in general aren't in the business of taking transfers. And on top of that, they tend to run their athletic programs while not exactly at the same level as the student body in general a lot closer to that than at most other D ones. So it's a real rarity that you would see an Ivy league program take a transfer. I, I had forgotten. I, I need to get in touch with, with my Spartan mag buddy, um, toxic Avenger because he has a son who plays for Yale and ask him about Casey Simmons on paper. That is a spectacular get for Yale because Casey Simmons was a very highly regarded recruit. You said he started seven games early on last year. That's how highly Northwestern thought of him. But he just didn't play very well, and he kind of got passed up in the rotation by a, a Detroit-area kid named Julian Roper, who we'll talk about in a minute a little bit more. Uh, so his, his role declined as the year went on, but uh, you're still talking about a kid who had a future, and I can't imagine Collins was thrilled to lose him. Uh, but you know, going to Yale, obviously you're – you're going from a truly great academic school to, I would guess, arguably one of the top two or three in America overall in Yale. So hard to believe that you could trade up from Northwestern, but he just did. <laughs> and on top of that, he's going to a very, very good basketball program. I mean, Yale has been right there at the top of the Ivy with Princeton in recent years and Harvard under Tommy Amaker, too. Uh, but Yale has uh, James Jones, I believe, is the head coach. And uh, he's been very, very good for a long time. So Casey Simmons probably is going to get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament, too. And and maybe a better chance than he had in Northwestern. Probably so, we'll yeah. See. I would think I would yeah. think that's to be the case. Despite the fact that he's in a one-bid league. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, now we'll go to the players that are returning this year. The, the best-named player in the Big Ten, Boo Booey, 6'2", senior point guard, he averaged 14 points a game, led the team with more than four assists a game on 40, 34, and 80. Aggressive guy, uh, assisted turnover ratio, two and a half to one. And he's one who's, in certain games, he would really be a thorn in the side. Always consistently like yeah. someone who could score and hurt you, could create, which I don't think many 
players in Northwestern really are creators of, you know, find their own offense, but he's a guy who could do that. A boo booey, just to refresh people's memory, his, his older brother is a guy named, named uh, Taylor battle, who you may remember at Penn state from about, you know, 11, 12 years ago, he was there during Draymond Green's era, that, that period. And I believe got Penn state to the tournament one year he yep. was there, but Taylor battle was a really good big 10 guard. I was not convinced that boo Booey would be the same, particularly as a point guard, because when I saw him early on at Northwestern, to me, uh, what it seemed like was, okay, this is a guy who's really got troubles with shot selection, doesn't have the mindset you want a point guard to have. So how can this work to his credit? Uh, he's been much, much better than I thought he would be, you know, for him to have a 2.5 to one assist turnover ratio and still be dynamic to average more right. than four assists per game um, and play those minutes. He's, he's turned into a quality guard. There's no question as a shot maker, you know, 34% from three, that's just good enough to be a threat. You know, it's just good enough to be on the positive side of things. So I can't criticize it too much. I would just say this. I would love to see what Boo Booey could do with maybe 25% better decision-making in terms of his shot selection. But, you know, as it is, this Northwestern team is going to have to win based on its backcourt. And that backcourt, as I'll get to, is a big part of the reason why I have them 12th and not 13th or 14th. And a big part of that is Boo Booey, because I do think he's going to have a strong offensive year. And we know in college basketball, Generally speaking, guards win. Sure. Yeah, I feel like in some ways Bowie was forced to create a little more offense for Northwestern because they had, you know, they struggled to score. And so maybe his shooting percentage actually should be better, but he's sort of, you know, more called upon to do more than he they had. You to. can, you can, that's a, that's a, a valid defense of his shot selection, except that I think if you really watch him, what you see is not oh, well, he had to take that shot because the clock was running and somebody had to. It's more, why did he take that shot? <laughs> he had 15 seconds left on the clock and he chucked up a 25-footer. That's my opinion, at least, for watching three years of it. But, but that is a defense. Next, we'll go to Chase Audage, a 6'4 senior. He averaged 9.8 points a game on 34, 25, and 72 shooting. He was injured for part of the season and he's a guy, my impression of him just generally is that he would, he was maybe streaky. So there's sometimes, sometimes he'd be really good, but most of the time, not great shooter. He had a very bad year and I think a lot of it, I'm ready to, um, chalk up to being hurt early on. I don't know that he ever got totally straight. Um, because if you look at his numbers from the year prior, they were much better. He is, he's another guy that will take really strange shots at times. But the year before, he hit a lot more of them. Um, I'm going to assume that if he's healthy, we'll see a return to form, and you'll you'll be looking at a double-digit scorer on the wing for Northwestern and a hell of a tag team partner for Bowie in that backcourt. Next is Ty Berry. He's a 6'3 junior, averaging 7.4 points a game on 39, 39, and 67 shooting in uh, 22 minutes a game. And he started about half the games, it looks like. Yeah, you know, the only knock I have on Barry is when they recruited him, uh, there was a lot of talk about him maybe being the point guard of the future. And instead, Bowie has grown into that role. And we just haven't seen Ty Berry even try it very much. I mean, his his assist totals are really, really low. So he's not even looking to be a secondary playmaker. I, I think on this team, he may have to be the backup point guard out of out of a lack of other realistic options but uh but i also expect boo boo he's probably going to play about 35 minutes a night so it won't be much the thing you like about barry is his shooting he's he's proven to be a really really good deep shooter 39 percent from three he was good the year before so uh he's going to be a guy that is either going to be a key player as a starter on the wing or will be a very key reserve in the backcourt one or the other but he's going to play a lot of minutes and he'll be important. And if he shoots the way he did last season, 
That's going to be a big help to this offense because they're going to need scoring punch from the, all of these guards. Yeah, losing Nance is definitely going to have to find scoring elsewhere. Uh, next is Julian Roper. He's a 6'5 sophomore from Detroit. He averaged four points a game and 3.4 rebounds a game in about 20 minutes. He started about half the season as well. He shot 34, 35, and 72 for the year. You know, Julian Roper was kind of, he played at Orchard Lake St. Mary, and uh, he was kind of, I won't say he was the forgotten man, but he was he was the guy in that 21 recruiting class that didn't get the same level of attention as Jaden Akins and Pierre Brooks, who were both at MSU, or um, uh, Kobe Bufkin, who's at Michigan. Those were the three guys who were top 100 recruits who people tended to talk about most. And they were all guards. And then Roper was the other guy. And I think that um, that was, I felt at the time that that was a little unfair, that I thought Roper was much closer in quality to those guys than national rankings would have suggested. And I feel like what transpired in his freshman season went a long way to demonstrating that. I mean, he had a really nice year. I said earlier, coming into the season, Casey Simmons was the guy that was supposed to inherit a big role out of that freshman class. And instead, over the course of the season, Roper just grew and grew and grew in importance to that team, whereas Simmons' role decreased. So I expect big minutes for Julian Roper. Again, just as with Ty Berry, he'll either be a starter on the wing or he'll be a key reserve. But what you like about him is at 6'5", he's got good size. He's athletic. He's skilled. I mean, he's not upper upper tier in any of those ways but he's solid in all of them and so you put all that together that's something that northwestern doesn't always have in their lineup and and so i think he's got a chance to be really really good starting this season i i also think he's a guy who can help them defensively because i think he's got the athletic ability and the attitude to probably be a pretty good perimeter defender Next is Robbie Barron. He's a 6'9 senior, averaging 6.5 points a game and 4.3 rebounds a game. Good shooter at 47, 37, and 75. Started 30 games last year. And uh, I guess his story is that he just doesn't shoot enough, despite those shooting numbers. This, this guy, I've been talking about it now for two years running, because I didn't talk about it before his freshman season. Highly regarded recruit has come in and over three years done exactly the same thing every year. He's played very, very efficiently, but he hasn't done enough. He hasn't taken enough shots. He hasn't maybe been active enough and that has to stop. There's no choice Northwestern in part because of all the guys they lost that we just got done talking about is really, really thin on experience inside. I mean, virtually nothing coming back Baran is it so he's got to be much much more than he's been he had for this team to be actually good he has to be essentially what pete nance was last year he's got to be at least like a mid-teens you know seven rebounds a game type guy and i don't know if he's got that kind of activity level that assertiveness in him but he needs to find it for this team to surprise to the upside very talented guy very efficient player, but man, it doesn't matter very much if you don't take shots. You miss every shot you never take, right? Right. So next is a seven-footer, Matthew Nicholson. He's from Clarkston. He averaged 1.8 points a game and 1.3 rebounds a game in 15 games played. And obviously with the departure of Nansen Young, we expect him to play a little bit more this season. Well, somebody's going to play. And somebody's going to play the five. And even if they were to go small ball and let's say start all four of those guards we talked about and Baran at the five, which I'm not sure they'll do, but they could do theoretically. I still think Nicholson's probably got to be in that rotation. Now they brought in a couple of guys we'll talk about in a minute who will compete with him. But I've been a fan of Matthew Nicholson since he was in high school. I really thought Northwestern got a steal when they got him. And I had actually hoped uh, that he would delay his commitment until the spring of his senior year so that perhaps if Michigan State had perceived that they wanted to add somebody with size late, that they would do it. Because I actually thought, I thought of him in kind of a similar way 
to how we're now seeing Carson Cooper that, Hey, this is a big kid who can actually move a bit. So you're not worried about the Ryan young kind of issues. You said, give him some time, take a flyer on him. I mean, the 12th or 13th man on the roster, but take some time, develop him. And you might end up with somebody who can really help you down the line. Uh, he hasn't broken through at Northwestern in his first two years, but as we've talked about Northwestern's actually had guys inside who were playing a lot of minutes. So it's not like there was a big role to be had on last year's team. Nance was the starter. Young took the reserve minutes and that was about all she wrote. But on the other hand, I will admit this is a fork in the road kind of year for Matthew Nicholson, because if he doesn't seize at least a solid reserve role this year, it's not going to happen in Evanston, you know, and this is his junior year. So granted he, because of COVID, he's still got theoretically as many as three years left. But um, I would think if it doesn't happen this year, if I were him, I'd be looking at moving on. Um, but I like, again, I like his potential. I think that he's, he's got touch. He's gotten a little bigger, his frame since he's been in college. So he should be able to handle banning a little bit more. And I always thought he had potential as a rim protector too, but we'll see. They, they could certainly use a breakthrough season from him. No question. And finally, uh, for returning players, uh, reserve Brooks Barnizer, he's six, six sophomore wing, uh, who didn't play much and shot 23, 18 and 83. Yeah. They think he's still got potential, uh, particularly as a perimeter shooter and, Honestly, with this team, I would be kind of surprised if he isn't in the rotation somewhere. I think they probably need a fifth guy in that backcourt group, and he would be the fifth guy, which might only mean, you know, eight minutes a night or something, but I think it's there to be had, and there's not a lot of competition for that role. So um, we'll see if he develops. Obviously, last year he really struggled shooting the ball, and that's supposed to be what he does best, so... We'll find out if that was just freshman year jitters and he gets a lot better as a sophomore or whether he's just not going to be that much better. Sure. Yeah. Well, you imagine a team like Northwestern, there's plenty of opportunities for people to play into larger roles this season with right. so much that you lost outside of the point guard position with Bowie. Uh, so right. then the new additions to the team, Titus Verhoeven, he's a 6'9", 230 pound grad transfer from UTEP. Averaging 6.6 points a game and 4.6 rebounds a game as a starter last year while shooting 51% from the floor and 68 from the line. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a lock that Verhoeven plays. The question is how much and in what role, because he could also play the four. Um, and so I think you'll see him probably both at the four and the five. Whether you see him as a starter or not, remains to be seen but what you have to like is that he's got experience uh and he gives you some size some physical presence in the paint and that matters yeah expect him to play at this point it's just a question of how much definitely not a floor stretcher on offense though this is a guy who is going to get whatever damage he gets done offensively is going to happen around the rim it's probably useful having him to push nicholson to have some competition right Absolutely. there, right? And do you think when it comes, we always talk about transfers from, now I guess UTEP you'd consider a, well, it's sort of a step up, right? From Oh, absolutely. Right. So would you, we, we always talk about how, the, you never know sort of how that they move up in that from to a power five, from like, you know, an IV to a power five, what that player is going to be. Is it a little bit easier, do you think, as a big man? Because you're, you know, you're not relying on probably distance from, you know, closing distance for people getting on for shot blocks or is it, do you think it's even harder? I think that it, I, I don't know that I'm convinced that it really matters with the caveat that I think it's hardest on point guards of anybody. But once you get past that, if you're saying, is it harder for a kid like Verhoeven than it would be for a wing? I'm not sure. I also think it depends on the team. If you're a big man coming into Michigan state, maybe so because of the expectation that you're going to be after you're going to have to be able to switch. Right. And so what burden is that going to put on you that you've never had to deal with defensively, which by the way is underrated as a reason why Michigan state was not active in the portal. I believe 
um, is it's not just, oh, this guy puts up raw numbers or this guy looks good in a uniform. Okay. It's, it's a little more subtle than that. So uh, what Chris Collins demands of his bigs, I, I, I don't know that I would say it's a tremendous amount. Um, but I, th- I just think, I think the bigger deal for anybody, regardless of position that's transferring up is it's really hard to even maintain your level of production. Never mind, improve on it when you're taking that kind of step up in quality of competition, because the teams are better coached generally. There could be individual exceptions for that, but generally they're better coached because they've got more resources to throw at development and strategy and practices and scouting and all of that. And so your, your opponents in the big 10 generally are going to be better prepared. They're also more athletic. So the shot window you have is smaller, you know, they're bigger and stronger, particularly the big 10 in the last few years, a kid like Verhoeven is going to be going up against some size in the post that he's probably never seen right? Yeah. or rarely seen. And, and it's going to be attached to probably a better overall quote unquote talent level too. So it's going to be challenging, but look, Northwestern needed bodies. There's no doubt about that. And you want, you feel good if you're a Northwestern fan that you at least have Verhoeven as an option. Next, it's Nick Mart- Martinelli. He's a 6'7", 200-pound forward from Chicago. He's originally committed to Elon, which, or Elon, uh, but because of a coaching change, he ended up in Evanston. Yeah, and I believe Elon's, if I remember correctly, I think Elon's head coach resigned to join John Shire's staff at Duke. Oh. So it was interesting that Martinelli ended up at a, another Duke guy's program. But <laughs> yeah, right. he is a suburban Chicago kid, and it, I believe his brother was a walk-on at Northwestern a couple of years ago. So, um, it made sense. Uh, look, I don't know what to expect here. They think he's got some versatility offensively. They think he could shoot from range and he is six, seven, but the question marks primarily resolve revolve around his uh, athleticism or lack thereof. So you just don't know. I, I don't have, I don't have big expectations for him right away. Um, but we'll see it actually, you know, that's the thing to me getting a kid like Martinelli is the, maybe the first sign that Collins is not recruiting the way he had been previously, because you look at the class prior and, you know, Barnheiser didn't have a great freshman year, but he was a decently rated recruit better than Martinelli, I think. And the other two guys, Simmons and Roper were athletic and, you know, expected to be solid. So to be getting a kid like Martinelli to me, looked like a little bit of a reach but we'll see. Maybe he surprises. Yeah, and you never know what COVID's effect and travel and restrictions Absolutely. had on, you know, for a team that's tenuous, right? Maybe even harder for them to. I will say this. He, the good news is he played for um, Mean Streets out of Chicago in AAU, which is an EYBL program. So at the very least, he has seen high-level competition consistently. So they've gotten a chance to evaluate him against guys who can really play. And finally, for new additions is Luke Hunger. He's a 6'10", 250-pound freshman out of Quebec. And uh, he's obviously in that position, the 4 or 5 spot, there's going to be a lot of a lot of uncertainty. So there's opportunity to play in and get some minutes. Yeah, they, they really like him. Um, obviously, he has enough size to hang in the post, you know, 6'10", 250. He's already as big in terms of weight as Nicholson is, you know, coming into Northwestern's program. Uh, but they also have said that he's very, very skilled. They think he can be a pick and pop guy, like immediately, not in two or three years. Uh, they, there were some comparisons I've seen to uh, Nance in terms of what his offensive versatility and upside could be there. Uh, you know, look on a team that clearly has massive, massive opening inside. You would be foolish to rule him out. So I, I, that's why I said it's kind of a fork in the road season, in my opinion, for Matthew Nicholson, because if he gets beaten out by hunger, you know, Verhoeven's going to play some just because he's a veteran. That might mean Nicholson's on the outside looking in for a role. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how that goes, but I would not 
you know, they're very optimistic about Luke Hunger. So if their coaching staff is right, they may have, they may have a guy here, you know, who may help solve that problem for them. Even this year, we can already hear all the comments from the announcers with a guy named hunger. And fortunately yeah. we're lucky he didn't play with Tum Tum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you look That's at, true. if you look at, uh, the, the team overall, then I feel like this is in some ways a little bit the same discussion as we had with Nebraska, where we have two coaches that are on warming up seats, like slightly warm, you know, lukewarm. They're kind of that they're programs that don't seem to be going the right direction. They're just sort of stagnant. And you wonder if at some point I, you know, the fan base are probably not rabid at either school Nebraska or Northwestern, but at some point you do have to come through and start winning and, and showing signs that you're on the right, you're moving in the right direction. It's an interesting, it's an interesting discussion. Um, I would say, you know, neither program has much in the way of tradition. Chris Collins has the advantage that he's actually the only coach ever at Northwestern to coach an NCAA tournament game. And he won one too. I believe I've got this right. Nebraska has been in seven tournaments, but I believe they're zero and seven. I don't think they've actually won a tournament game. So Collins is one up on Nebraska for life so far in terms of tournament wins. Uh, so neither place has that kind of expectation, but the reason I raise it is Chris Collins was the guy to do it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not on the same scale, but I believe part of what allowed Judd Heathcote to continue as coach at Michigan state through a mostly rough decade of the eighties and keep his job. And then he was able with the, with the help of Tom Izzo as a recruiter to really get it firmly back on track and have a very nice close to his career. But the reason I think he rode out only two tournaments in 10 seasons in the eighties is he won a national championship. That kind of thing matters. And it carries you. It would have been very difficult for Michigan state to say, we just fired a coach who won us a national championship. (laughs) There are places where you can do that. LSU football. You can do that. Yeah. There might be a few other places. But it's hard most places. At Northwestern, making the NCAA tournament probably comes pretty close to falling into that category. How do you fire the only guy who's done it over decades and decades and decades? Whereas at Nebraska, I don't, I mean, the, the predecessor, Hoiberg's predecessor got him to the tournament. So to me, it feels like the seat probably is a little warmer in Lincoln than it is in Evanston. But I could be wrong. I just don't sense any talk or or get any kind of feel that Collins is coaching for his job, at least not yet. But I, I could be wrong. Um, no question that he would do himself a great deal of good by pulling off a surprisingly good season. We can agree on that for sure. You worry that he, at some point he just gets frustrated and you and you become sort of stuck in sort of mediocrity that you can't get out of. You get sort of in a rut, right? And you, you have trouble recruiting yeah. and it's a self-perpetuating cycle at some point. Just like success, right. per, you know, sets you up for more success. Failure sets you up for more failure as well. So you wonder if that's what happened to him. Absolutely. And and if if you were a Northwestern fan, maybe a little bit more on the pessimistic side, I think you might look at this 2022 recruiting class and say, because keep in mind, they've also only got 10 scholarship players. So they had three slots left, which means either they decided to simply not fill them, which I don't think was the case. I do not think this was a Tom Izzo, I'm making a choice kind of deal. I think it means they swung and missed on some transfers and they didn't land all the high school guys they wanted to. So you would wonder if you were, again, inclined to be a little more on the pessimistic side, um, might this be a sign of momentum slipping away from the Northwestern program? Now, you know, I say that, um, and, you know, they're recruiting for the current class, is and i'm pulling it up because i honestly have forgotten if they've even signed anybody and they have they have one so they signed um point guard jordan clayton who i don't believe is a top 100 kid so um 
Yeah. So he had offers from Cal, Florida, Gulf Coast, LaSalle, Rhode Island, and UMass. Yeah. And, you know, they've missed on a few guys lately. I know who they had offered and were emphasizing. Um, so uh, they were in on uh, Milan uh, Momsolovich, who was a kid from Wisconsin that uh, Michigan State was in on, too, and then ended up going to Iowa State. Uh, they were in on Kerry Booth, a big man who just committed to Penn State. So you put these things together, and that's maybe the reason to be worried if you're a Northwestern fan. It's, well, where is the momentum for this program going? And if at least if you're landing highly regarded guys, that's giving you reason for optimism. You know, the most pessimistic fan in the Michigan State fan base for what might happen this season has to look at what next season brings and be very optimistic, right? Absolutely. So you at least want to give people that reason. And you have to wonder, is is Chris Collins doing that? You can argue, maybe not. Do you, what is the problem at Northwestern? <clears throat> I know they don't have any tradition, but is it a facilities problem? Is it the lack of a fan base? Is it is it because their their admissions are so difficult that they they knock out a bunch of recruits that they can't you know up, that that they would want? What is it that prevents them from being so successful? I think it's. I think it's some of all of those things. Now, the facilities issue has been largely taken care of. You know, they've, um, I mean, I remember the days of McGaw Hall when it really did look like a hall. That was about <laughs> it. You know, and then they did some refurbishing. It became Welsh Ryan Arena. And then they did more refurbishing. It actually looks legitimate now. And they've sunk a fair amount of money into their athletic program in recent years. I mean, you, some of our listeners, I'm sure, have seen photos of their, uh, their football practice facility, for example. And I believe that their basketball facilities have been upgraded as well. So I don't think it's – let's put it this way. I don't think they've got the worst facilities in the Big Ten by a long shot. I think Rutgers, I think you could certainly argue Minnesota – have worse facilities or bigger facilities issues than Northwestern has at the moment. So that's been an issue in the past. I'm not sure it is now. I think tradition is tough because that bleeds into a lot of other things. You know, on paper, you would look at it and say, well, gosh, you're, you're located in an area of the country where over the long haul, maybe not in the last few seasons, but over the long run, Chicago land is about as good as it gets for producing basketball talent yet they have secured scarcely any, you know, the one guy I can think of off the top of my head, who was a Chicagoland kid who really, who came there and really delivered was Vic law, you know, and, and other than that, not, not a lot. Part of that, a big part of that, I think is that Northwestern is not necessarily seen as a place where you go to win. Yeah. You know, or, or even compete. So that's part of it. Those years of building up. Then it's just the sheer competition, the number of schools that recruit that area. So if you can't recruit that home turf successfully, you got to go further afield. But you're Northwestern. You don't have a name. It's one thing for Michigan State to decide, well, we're going to go into Texas and we're going to go into Georgia slash South Carolina and compete on these kids because we think we can get them. And then you do because you're Michigan State. Northwestern can't do that as easily. So they're stuck oftentimes. But, you know, other than a few exceptions in Collins' tenure, they're usually stuck getting second-tier kids from other Big Ten states or even going further afield. A kid like Bryant McIntosh, who was a really good player for that point guard of that tournament team, and is, by the way, is an assistant coach this year on their staff. Um, he was uh, like a second or even third-tier recruit out of Indiana. He just wasn't a guy who was remotely in consideration for a scholarship offer from IU or Purdue or even Notre Dame. So Northwestern's able to get them and they get lucky, you know. Um, I, I think Julian Roper is an example of that. Really good player, but neither Michigan nor Michigan State were involved in that mix. So they were able to get them. So you have to be able to do some of that, but that's tough. That's tough to do consistently enough to succeed. Then you add in the academics, and that's real. I mean, Northwestern really does have 
a different standard than the rest of the Big Ten, as I understand it, in terms of what their athletes have to go through in the admissions process. Now, again, don't don't read that to for me as as me suggesting that a Northwestern basketball player has to get into school in the same fashion as a standard issue Northwestern student. I'm not saying there aren't allowances made, but it's not to the extent of other Big Ten programs. Never mind, you know, an SEC school or something like that. Uh, the board, you know, the Big Ten at least actually cares somewhat about those <laughs> things. But Northwestern really does care. That's not a joke. That's I, my understanding is it's Northwestern and Stanford among power five schools that legitimately walk the walk and talk the talk in terms of how they handle um how they handle uh, the impact of academics on admission decisions for their, uh, even for their revenue sports, you know? So all of those things, I don't think it's any one thing. I think it's all of those things combined. And the fact that let's be honest, they play in a very, very, very difficult league, yeah. a very deep league year in, year out. Yeah. That doesn't make it easier, but it's also not an excuse for one tournament appearance in, you know, however many decades of, of, of play. It is somewhat remarkable that you can sometimes build tradition too. You look at you look at Northwestern football; they were. I mean, I don't think they hardly ever won more than two or three Big Ten games for decades, and then they turned yes. around, right? And with uh, Gary and I can't and multiple head coaches, and now with Pat Fitzgerald, multiple right? Head coaches, and and the same goes for Wisconsin, both both in basketball and football. They were not a tradition until Alvarez came in, which which is what should give you at least some hope for the future, whether it's Chris Collins or somebody else, if you're a Northwestern fan, because you're absolutely right. It is so much harder to turn around a football program just because you need so many more guys. And yet it was done at Northwestern. You know, Gary Barnett comes out of nowhere and erases decades of futility and takes them to a Rose Bowl. And, um, and then they had the guy, Randy Walker, who came from Miami of Ohio, who succeeded him and had some success. And, and then, you know, for the last, I mean, how long's Pat Fitzgerald been there a long time yeah. now it's, it's over a decade, I think. And he's not, you know, Northwestern has down years occasionally, but they are clearly right now, you would say Northwestern football is far from the worst program in the big 10. And at least in a category where you can't overlook them and dismiss them out of hand in any given year. And sometimes they will rise up and do something like win a division. Yeah. You know, and, and so you, you have to say as a Northwestern fan, well, why can't we find a path in basketball? And I don't have a good answer to that because the right guy, I think, could do it because really you need not that it would have worked out, but you look at a situation like Max Christie. Max Christie was a ball boy for the Northwestern program when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. His mother played at Northwestern. That's the kind of recruit that if you're Chris Collins, you have to find a way you have to, because that's, that's the kind of thing that now in retrospect, given what we saw from Max, it probably wouldn't have had the effect I'm talking about, but if you get the right guy or the right couple of guys, preferably that can change the whole dynamic. And all of a sudden you're very quickly competitive where you weren't before. That's hard to do that with freshmen, but you know, if you get the right freshman and especially if you get the right freshman and you keep them for two or three years, at least you got a chance, but as we've seen, it's proven to be really, really hard for whatever reason to figure it out at Northwestern. And to me, this does not look like a year where they figured it out. Right. So you have them as 12. So obviously you see huge deficiencies. We talked about a lot of those and overall, uh, you know, they're, they're not only are they, are they lacking some spots, but I mean, they've, they're lacking players too, right? They don't have much depth. And so you could really see them be completely devastated if they had a key injury somewhere like, you know, Bowie or something. 100%. Like they, they have to keep everybody healthy because as I see it, it 10 scholarship players, and I'm going to guess that realistically, you're probably talking about more like an eight man rotation in reality. Uh, that's what I would expect, which is okay. Lots of teams pull that off. Everybody doesn't play the way Michigan state does, you know, so you can, you can pull that off, but 
boy, they can't afford getting anybody hurt. And if Boo Booey in particular got hurt, I, I don't I don't see how uh, the roof doesn't fall in. You know, they just don't have another option. You're talking about a bunch of guys who are not point guards having to play that position. And that's that's what killed them actually. It was eight it was eighteen nineteen. So two years after their tournament season. Uh if they had had a real point guard, that team might have been good enough to get back to the tournament, but they didn't have a point guard. Vic Law ended up having to masquerade as one, and he was good enough at it to keep them competitive, but not good enough for them to get over the hump. You know, that shows you what can happen if you don't, or Michigan State two years ago, we know, yeah, right? Right. What happens when you don't have a point guard? So they've got one, but they don't really have another. And if something happens to Boo Booey, they're in trouble. I think this, the negative, the downside is somebody gets hurt and it really damages their rotation, damages their depth, et cetera. Um, they never figure out anything at the five spot. That's the downside. The downside could be as low as 14th. I mean, I can envision a world where Nebraska is a little better than Northwestern. It's not that big a stretch. Certainly I can envision it with Minnesota. But the upside is their guards play really well. Baran takes a step forward or a couple steps forward and plays to his actual potential. And then they cobble together decent play at the five. And if all of that happened, you know, maybe they could aspire to 500 overall. I, I still struggle to see a world where there are they can fight their way into tournament contention, but you know, that would be the upside. I, I, the reason I pick them where I have and not lower is truthfully, it's down to the guard play because Nebraska in, in both Nebraska and Minnesota's cases, they have more reason for optimism at other spots inside you know, they've got some reason. You got Derek Walker at Nebraska is proven. Jamison Battle, a proven four-man at Minnesota. You know, th those are the reasons those programs have some optimism. But what they don't have is proven play at the guard, particularly on the ball. They both got real question marks there. And Northwestern doesn't. If Northwestern stays healthy, that's a pretty decent guard group, in my opinion, particularly with Bowie. And guards win, bet on guards in college basketball. And so that's why I have Northwestern with a slight edge. But if it goes another way, it won't be shocking. I'm just covering myself. Right, yeah, I, I get it, you're, you're hedging. But I think in this, this year, you absolutely have to. And and I guess the one thing you can say for optimism for Northwestern fans, they had to hold out some hope. We have a, a conference that is probably okay, but I don't know that we have any teams that you just can't you can't beat, right? And I, well, so, there's that. So I think, you know, you could – you could almost see huge swings in this season where a team that you would ordinarily expect, ah, they're going to get four or five wins. They might get 10 or 11. Maybe, you know, they get a couple breaks go their way or something. You play the person the right night. And next thing you know, you've played yourself into a Thursday or maybe even, well, probably a Thursday uh, game versus a Wednesday. So I don't know. I mean, look, I, I, I would say, you know, we're going to do, so these guys are 12. I would say everybody 10 through 14. So the bottom five teams, are so questionable that you could really put them in any order. All right. And it wouldn't be shocking. And so that means that you should have some opportunities for wins. If you can just beat those teams, that's going to give you several victories. And then, and, and again, as you're saying, they're all flawed, but I would say even the next group, even nine through one in this league have flaws. There's, there is nobody, a spoiler alert, as we go through this, every single one of these teams we're going to talk about have questions that in most years, I think would, would lead you to conclude, well, that's just not going to be a title contender, or that's not going to be a tournament team. It's not going to be a first division team in the big 10 this year's big 10. I don't know because the questions are there for everybody. And somebody's going to win games. Right. Somebody's going to do it. And we can also surmise that somebody probably figures out their questions. Oh, sure. Positively. 
they get a positive answer. And, and so they will look in March different than we're evaluating them to be now because of that. But it does mean that any team can look at the big 10 this year, in my opinion, and say, well, we can win some games. And that would include Northwestern and the two teams we discussed previously. You've got to imagine there are going to be a couple of teams that go into Evanston or Lincoln or Minneapolis and just, you know, for whatever reason, they just get, they get pounded. They may even lose by double digits because they're just having an off, off night right. or whatever. It, it'll happen. And, you know, again, I go back to the card play, especially if you've got a team with a, with a boo booey who maybe isn't the most efficient shot maker, but on the right night could bust you seven for nine from three. He'll have an, a couple nights like that. You have Barry, who's an established shooter. I think Audage, I expect to get back on track and be better. And then you have Roper. So they've got weapons. And Baran, if he decides to take shots, is a shot maker. So they've got a lot of guys who, if you put together the right night, and, and as you say, playing at home against anybody in this league, on the right night, Northwestern's got enough from the perimeter that you can, you can see a path to where an upset could be pulled off, you know, for sure. And so what do you see for next week's show? Who's, who are we going to be talking about or for the next one? Uh, you're going to put me on the spot. I haven't decided. <laughs> well, they, it's either going to be Maryland. It's either going to be Maryland or Penn state. Well, there you go. There's your spoiler. And, you Tune know, in to find out. Yeah. Team. <laughs> and they both got a lot of questions. Maryland has got a new coach and it's a new era. And Penn State's in the second year of a program that I think is getting better, but it's going to take a little more time. Well, make sure you turn in to find out which team that is. We're going to also, I'd like to remind you that we do have the opportunity to uh, predict against Rod and try and have a better prediction of what the standings will be for the Big Ten. We're going to have a t-shirt for the winner of the contest. You have to enter in before the first Big Ten game, which is in December. You can access that by going to TFFINOTS at gmail.com and just send us your one through 14 as the tiebreaker. We're going to have how many points Michigan state scores against Michigan this season. Also, again, if you want to support the show, we'd really appreciate it. If you like what we're doing here, we'd appreciate the support. You can go to tffinots.com slash support. And then finally, please join our forum. Come join our Spartan community. As we gear up for the basketball season, you can get involved with conversations with other fans here and what's going on and with new recruits and et cetera. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.